green energy that isn't hydrogen power produced with coal-fired electricity. I'm Glenn Wheeler, and this is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land, and water. This is episode 232 of Mi'kmaq Matters, brought to you with listener support. Become a patron at patreon.com slash Matters. We're looking forward to seeing you in Stephenville on the evening of October 12th for a special live event as we discuss defending Mi'kmaq land and water from relentless development pressures, mining, fish farms, and of course, windmills. Wind energy is sold as green energy, a way of dealing with climate change. In western Newfoundland, the plan calls for 164 windmills on environmentally sensitive land on the port Peninsula, territory that's culturally significant to Mi'kmaq people. This week, we bring you a story from across the water in Nova Scotia about a development that also has raised questions about how green is the power produced in that project. Like the Port-a-Port plan, the Nova Scotia scheme would see a huge number of wind turbines, 300, located on land significant to Mi'kmaq in Guysborough County, home of some of the last intact ecosystems in the province. But the turbines don't come into the story until phase two. Until then, the hydrogen will be produced using huge quantities of electricity produced by coal. Yes, you heard that right, coal, the dirtiest of all the dirty fossil fuels. Wind energy, green power, or just green washing. We spoke with Joan Baxter, who has been writing about the Nova Scotia project for the Halifax Examiner. Joan, great to have you back on Mi'kmaq Matters. Thank you. It's really a pleasure. And uh, great to talk to you about uh, your great story in the Halifax Examiner about the Nova Scotia version of the quote-unquote green energy uh, plans regarding, um, regarding hydrogen. In the Nova Scotia chapter of the story, we see that there is a uh, project proposed for Point Tupper and many of us associate Point Tupper with coal. And I gather that, uh, ironically, coal is part, at least initially, part of the quote-unquote green hydrogen story in Nova Scotia. Tell us about that. Yes. Well, this company called Everwind Fuels, um, which actually was just formed this year, um, it's, it's owned by somebody in Australia who lives in New York with a big pi- private equity background who has leapt onto the hydrogen bandwagon, green hydrogen. So the idea is he was attracted to Nova Scotia because he said of the excellent wind resource we have here. He said Newfoundland at the time he was looking didn't have onshore wind allowances. Um, We know that's changed since then, but he then landed on Nova Scotia and he bought this site, which was an old tank terminal site for oil in Point Tupper. 
to put up a plant. Um, he hasn't yet submitted the environmental assessment for this plant. They say they're going to do it this month, um, which will be producing with a lot of electricity, something they call green hydrogen, um, which will then be transformed into ammonia. <laughs> and that will be basically exported to Europe to a couple of energy giants in Europe. Now, ammonia is mostly used as a fertilizer in, in uh, chemical fertilizers. Hydrogen is a new green, it's a gas, but which can be used, it's an energy carrier. So I know it's a bit complicated. So it's not yet directly used as a fuel except in fuel cells. But people are looking at this, of course, as one of the tools that could be used in tackling climate change. But green hydrogen, getting it down to that, has to be produced with green energy, which means it has to be renewables. When I tried to find out from uh, Trent Fitchie, who's head of Everwind Fuels, and Ken Summers, who's his environmental advisor here in Nova Scotia, where they would get the energy for the first phase of this green hydrogen production, remember it has to be 100% renewable to be green, um, I couldn't get a clear answer. Sometimes they said it would be coming from the Nova Scotia grid, in which case it can't be green because at this point we still have 60% coal fired energy here in the electricity in Nova Scotia. By 2025, when they hope to start producing this so-called green hydrogen and ammonia, we hopefully will have more power coming from over in Newfoundland and Labrador through Muskrat Falls, which is considered green energy. Although that's also questionable <laughs> considering the damage it's caused in Labrador to, first, to indigenous people. However, even by 2025, Nova Scotia power will not have eliminated the coal from the electricity grid in Nova Scotia. So therefore, it, they are taking energy from our grid to produce this ammonia, hydrogen and ammonia. It means that it cannot really be called green. Later in the inter interviews, when I sort of challenged Mr. Vichy and Mr. Summers on this, then they kind of hedged and Mr. Vichy told me, oh, well, maybe they would find a new wind source that they could use to produce this ammonia, but I got conflicting answers. And when I went to a Dalhousie professor um, to get some figures of how much energy they actually would need, it's astounding, to produce the 200,000 tons of hydrogen and ammonia that they're talking about in 2025 in phase one, they would need energy almost equivalent to 40% of Nova Scotia's power grid. Mm. So there's a lot of questions about how green this hydrogen is going to be and where they're going to source their energy. Um, but for the beginning, I mean, Nova Scotia power has until 2030 to take the coal completely out of our energy mix here. Mm. So if you're using any power from the Nova Scotia power grid until 2030, you're still going to be using coal. So therefore, if you're producing hydrogen, it cannot be green. Right. Well, that's, that's the thing. Hydrogen does, uh, does not just like appear. It, it takes electricity to produce the hydrogen. So the electricity has to come from somewhere in Nova Scotia. Right now, there's a lot of coal and even wood. Even wood is being burned in Nova Scotia to... Um, 
produce electricity, which I, I found surprising. That seems very backward. So this uh, so-called green energy will be uh, made from coal and even wood in the in the short term. And I wonder if there's um, with that a, a big uh, uh, pressure on the Nova Scotia power system. Potentially, I suppose they all had to bring in more coal to produce more power to make this uh, this hydrogen. And this coal is not is no longer for us obtained from the Cape Breton coal mines, but is brought in um, from elsewhere. So uh, I well, guess that's another issue. Interestingly enough, um, we today, as we speak, three hours ago, I heard that Nova Scotia Power has put in an application to source coal from the Donkin mine, which has just reopened the Donkin coal mine in Cape Breton. And the coal from that mine is particularly polluting. It's some of the worst grade coal that you can have for pollution and emissions. So it is possible that maybe they're going to be sourcing you know, more and more coal. We just don't know where they're planning to get all this energy. Mm. And as I say, this is, this is where it gets very confusing. So it's very difficult for we journalists and non-specialists to get things straight. And I really struggled with those articles because it's, it's, there's actually a spectrum of colors of hydrogen out there in the world, but let's just go with three colors. Green means that the hydrogen is being produced using electricity from 100% renewables. Um, blue hydrogen is when it's being produced using natural gas, but there's some form of carbon capture and storage in the process, which supposedly sequesters and brings down all the carbon emissions so they're not going up into the atmosphere and contributing to climate change. Gray or black hydrogen would be produced with natural gas, so fossil fuels, with no carbon capture and storage. But even the blue hydrogen, which is something that's being promoted a great deal in Alberta and even by our federal government, um, trying to convince Germany that that's what they want to buy from us because it uses a lot of natural gas. Um, there have been studies recently that show that it's, it may not be better than gray or black hydrogen because there's so many methane leaks when it's being made and the carbon capture um, and storage technologies are still really in their infancy and they haven't been spectacularly successful isn't there's an understatement so therefore green hydrogen may have a future and the international energy agency says that hydrogen may be up to 13 percent of the energy mix by 2050 but the climate institute of canada still calls it a wild card it's not one of our safe bets. So if our goal is really fighting climate change and getting our carbon emissions down and meeting those net zero targets for 2050, there are other ways in Nova Scotia that the experts I quoted in the article have suggested, which is rapid electrification, a lot, a lot, a lot of switching over from baseboard heat, for example, to heat pumps and renovating houses, insulating houses, making sure that all the new homes and buildings are built with net zero capacity. So they don't see this, if we're going to have more and more wind energy in Nova Scotia, they'd like to see it going into our grid to make our electricity much cleaner than it is now so that we can get rid of that coal. So you have a conundrum here. Um, 
And just this week in Nova Scotia, surprisingly enough, um, right after I did the articles about the first phase of this hydrogen doesn't look too green, but then they're saying they're going to put up, you know, 300 giant wind turbines in one county in Nova Scotia to produce all green energy for phase two, to produce the hydrogen and ammonia to export it to Europe. Um, Nova Scotia announced suddenly that we're going to have a target of five gigawatts, which is huge for Nova Scotia. That's much, that's half of what we're producing now in energy on offshore wind. And this offshore wind, it will be leased offshore. The seabed will be leased to people and they're opening that up for leases in 2025 for offshore wind. But surprisingly enough, that is going to be going to companies producing green hydrogen. It will not be used by me and you, ordinary consumers, who were hoping we could get clean energy off our own power grid. So that massive amount of, of, of wind energy is not going to be used to green Nova Scotia's grid or help us deal with our climate plan. It's going to be feeding companies that are producing so-called green hydrogen that's going to Europe. Yes, and one of the, and as you, I don't know how significant this part is, but as you point out, this uh, ammonia uh, will have to be shipped across the Atlantic Ocean in carrier vessels burning diesel energy. So, uh, you know, what is the impact of, of, of that? So it's uh, a little bit uh, ironic uh, in that regard. No, that's, so, that's not calculated yet. I mean, there are people who look, who are working now on some of, some of the sectors that are very difficult to green. Um, you know, our trans, our oceanic shipping and aviation and people are looking and hoping that hydrogen will have a role to play in fueling those things, but we're not nearly there yet. <laughs> we won't be there for many years. Yes. <laughs> now let's talk about the, the phase two would have these uh, 300 uh, wind turbines. And, um, and uh, I'm not sure, uh, if all of those 300 would be in Guysborough County or they would be across uh, Nova Scotia, are there, would they all be in Guysborough County, those 300 turbines? Uh, well, according to Mr. Vichy, who's the CEO of Everwind Fuels, that is their main focus. And they have signed an MOU with two First Nation um, corporations, sort of, in agreement that this should go ahead. But of course, you know, there's a lot of environmental assessment that needs to be done for every wind farm. And they're talking about, they're saying 300 wind turbines. In fact, uh, Professor Hughes at Dalhousie suggested to me it would be more like 500 wind turbines wow. they would need. Mm -hmm. And all of Nova Scotia right now, as we speak, only has just over 300 commercial wind turb turbines operating. And a lot of them are going in very sensitive environmental areas, which will cause defragmentation of, for example, moose, uh, mainland moose habitat. And yes. mainland in Nova Scotia are an endangered species. And Guysborough County is kind of almost the last refuge of moose habitat. Um, so, but that seems to be the focus. He did say that that was where they would be planning to concentrate the wind turbines for phase two. Now, you mentioned the, the First Nation involvement there and a bit of First Nations trivia here. Uh, they've signed MOUs with uh, Member 2, 
And with uh, Buckingag uh, First Nation, uh, member two, our listeners will remember uh, the chief is Terry Paul, uh, the most, I think fair to say, most influential of the Atlantic uh, chiefs. And uh, Terry Paul, of course, was um, the, uh, the principal mover of the sale of uh, Clearwater, the purchase of Clearwater Seafoods from John Risley, who is the, uh, the developer of a controversial um, wind farm project in Western Newfoundland. The other MOU is with uh, Buckingham, the uh, former chief, uh, Paul Prosper, is now the regional chief of, uh, uh, for Nova Scotia and Newfoundland at the Assembly of First Nations. So two very influential chiefs involved there. Um, but you mentioned the, uh, the environmental sensitivity of the Guysboro um, area, one of the uh, last remaining uh, intact areas of ecosystems uh, in Nova Scotia, and an area very significant for Mi'kmaq people. It's an area where people can uh, practice, uh, you know, uh, cultural, you know, traditional cultural activities. Um, an area to, to get away uh, to the natural world. And there's not a lot of that left in, in Nova Scotia. So it looks like another threat to Guysboro County, already threatened by gold mines and spaceports and uh, LNG terminals. And now the windmills are the, the latest threat to Guysboro County. The, the, there, there was a, a study done, in fact, for one of the gold mines, and it was a, a traditional a Mi'kmaq traditional knowledge ecological study that was done a few years ago, which I have, and it really pointed to that area as being extremely important to the Mi'kmaq in that it is, despite the fact that there's been massive amounts of clear cutting there for pulp, it is still largely intact. It has very important river systems. And there are still intact areas of forest within, with the species, like I say, the, the mainland moose and so on. So yes, that study certainly shows that that's important for the Mi'kmaq as a, as a last refuge for hunting and fishing. So um, how do you see things uh, unfolding on this, um, on this hydrogen story in Nova Scotia? There's such a relentless pressure uh, now because of the war in Ukraine and the situation in, in Europe with the energy. But of course, none of this will come online very soon. So it seems, you know, even though the the two things are related in the discourse. They're they're separate because this power, even if it comes online, hopefully uh, we won't still be uh, there. Won't still be a war in in the Ukraine at that time. So um, so there is pressure from that, and just of course the the climate change pressure is ironically pushing this as a, as a solution when it, it it really is not a solution. But I'm not sure in the public mind that those uh, dots are all connected. So um, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of uh, uh, pressure in favor of these kinds of de developments. So what, what do you see happening? I mean, I think, I think for most people and certainly for myself up until I started looking into it and going through, you know, starting to learn about hydrogen and it's been very difficult. It's a steep learning curve and I basically still know very little. It's very new. The jury is still out on how hydrogen will, what role it will even play in fighting climate change. So it's quite a gamble. And there are, as I say, things that are considered safe bets that we can do right away. And the, the, the feeling of you know, one expert I spoke with, who's with Corporate Knights, Ralph Torrey, who's a research director there, he just said, Nova Scotia's priority should be if it's producing new wind energy is getting that on the grid so that we can all use clean energy. And even this 
big announcement this week. I mean, one of the things that we're seeing, I'm sure it's the same in Newfoundland as it is here, these entrepreneurs, the John Risleys of the world and Transitions have really um, convinced the politicians that they're the white knights, the green knights, let's say, of the future with their green hydrogen. Um, even though we're not quite sure if that's the case yet, but they've definitely got the politicians behind us, them. But then you look, for example, this big promise about five gigawatts in the offshore. Canada has no facilities to make the vessels that do the installations for offshore energy. We have completely let the ball <laughs> fall on all kinds of shipbuilding and all of those things, all the wind energy and solar energy, we are importing everything for that. There are no vessels available for installations of offshore wind energy for the next five to six years, if that. Mm -hmm. In Poland, they're talking about building new ones. There's a huge backlog. And of course, they're using wind energy and putting it in all over the place in Europe. So how they even think they will be able to install the wind energy offshore in Nova Scotia is a question. And then to do so, but to direct that clean energy to plants that are producing hydrogen for export to Europe down the road, just it's not clear to me anyway, how that helps Canada and Nova Scotia and people in Atlantic Canada fight climate change. Well, Joan, thanks for the articles, uh, which are available um, on the Halifax Examiner website. Also, there's a link on the Enigma Matters Facebook page. We are talking on September 22nd. I'm not sure if the second article will be uh, out from behind a paywall in the next few days, but eventually it will. There's no, there's no paywall in those articles, and they're also available on the site called The Energy Mix. Great. Well, people can find them there. Well worth the read. Very educational. So, Joan, thank you very much. I thank you. Joan Baxter, a writer for the Halifax Examiner. And that's it for the program. Allison Baker is the producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for the latest Mi'kmaq news and views. I'm Glenn Wheeler, Amsonoka. <laughs>